electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Right now in Last Call, the AI arms race heating up. Chat GPT moving to steal the thunder from Mr. Elon Musk. The cost of corporate activism. Senator Ted Cruz out with a new book, Tallying the Tab. He is here to make the case. Renewables going dark with investors. The industry's outlook turning even worse. Broken dish, satellite provider stock is cratering. Is it a bad omen for media at large? And is it a handbag? Is it a computer? Or is it a cake? Look at that. We're going to meet the entrepreneur made famous on Netflix with cakes unlike any other. It is Make It Mondays, and your taste buds are not going to want to miss it. All that much more across the hour, so belly up with that cake. Buckle up. Last call is up right now. Uh, good evening here. Good afternoon out west, everybody. Hope you had a great weekend. I am Brian Sullivan. All of that ahead. But first up on last call, why isn't the president's economic message resonating with voters? New polls show growing widespread dissatisfaction with the economy, which is interesting because by many official measures, the economy is doing quite well. Here's a few headlines. The macro economy is measured by GDP grew nearly 5% last quarter, a huge number. The unemployment rate has remained below 4% for 20 months. Americans are more real estate rich as home prices continue to rise. And even gasoline prices, yeah, up from three years ago, are down 10% from one year ago. Oh, and stocks, if you own them, are not far from record highs, which should help many 401ks. But despite all those glowing numbers, Americans are still frustrated. The latest New York Times Siena College poll says just two Percent of voters say the economy was, quote, excellent. A Gallup poll says 48 percent of adults rated economic conditions as, quote, poor. And a University of Michigan survey found that one in five of those asked said their personal finances had deteriorated over the last two and a half years. To add insult to injury, more than half of voters trust the former president, Trump, to do a better job in the economy than Biden. And that was the largest gap of any issue. The result of all this The New York Times poll saying that Biden is now trailing the former president in five of the six key swing states. So why is Bidenomics backfiring, even with trillions of spending on the economy, including direct checks to millions of Americans during COVID? Does the president have enough time to turn around his fortunes? Let's talk about it from a CNBC angle. Joining with our A-list panel, University of Chicago Institute of Politics director, CNBC contributor, former Democratic congresswoman from our senator, Heidi Heidkamp, and American enterprise economist, policy analyst, and CNBC contributor, Jimmy Petthakoukas. I feel like after I'm done with the intros, like the segment's over. I'm just going to start calling you Senator and Jimmy. Thanks very much for joining us. Um, Senator Heidkamp, I'm going to start off with you, all right, because you've run campaigns, obviously, very successfully, and you've won. You know what it takes to win. What's the issue here with this branding? And we're only mentioning, not because of politics, but because the economy is the biggest thing that people cite. 
the economy is reflected, people's attitude about the economy is reflected in their personal finance. It's not in GDP. It is not in, you know, whether you're 401k, if you're fortunate enough to have one is actually successful because you're not realizing that. It's in the day-to-day expenditures, the sense that you have. And I think you're showing that the index of consumer sentiment is way down. And so when you label something Biden economics and you say, look at how great things are and people aren't feeling it, whether it's the high rent costs, whether it is, as you said in a tweet today, uh, insurance costs that have gone up, they don't feel it. Insurance has got to be the greatest hidden inflation out there. Home, auto, whatever it is, not measured in the stats and everybody's car insurance and home insurance is going off the hook. You know, Jimmy, I do wonder If thinking about it, if I was the president's marketing team and campaign consultants, I might say, as opposed to trying to when people are clearly feeling hurt or hit, you know, economically, instead of bragging about it, maybe empathize a little more. Right. Uh, Except he's been president now for a good stretch. And it's not it's not the first six months of his administration now. And, you know, now we're we're heading you know, toward the final lap. So I think it's tough for that message to get across. But certainly, I think kind of like these morning in America kinds of messages just won't work. When Ronald Reagan did that in the 80s, the only reason those famous ads worked is because they reflected something that people actually believed that was going on in their own lives. So you, maybe you were just reminding them of that, but they, they connected with people. People don't want to hear that right now. They think they don't care about the CPI index. They think inflation is still running very high, out of control. Sure, maybe they're they're kind of anchored to those pre-inflation prices, but that's their reality. Yeah, and you and you do wonder, Senator, you know, people, I think people want the pre-COVID prices back, right? And this isn't 40 years ago. I want my nickel Hershey's bar. This is three and four years ago. The price of things like, you know, fast food is for a family is probably doubled. In many cases, we're never going back to the pre-COVID prices for many things. Simply not going to happen. Labor costs too much, rents too high, whatever it may be. So if you were advising the president from the economic CNBC style, what would be the message? How do you sell the economy to a dissatisfied group of voters? think you start talking about interest rates and how they have uh, they're too high and you're going to bring them back down mm-hmm. that it's time that we adjust interest rates i think you start talking about competition in insurance you start talking about the things that speak to the concerns when you when people think the economy's bad and you decide to label the economy biden economics maybe that's not the best strategy and you need to retrench yeah, in fact, I think there was an, it was an NBC News story about just that, Jimmy, which is that even some of Bi- Biden himself, apparently, according to the NBC News story, basically was a little bit worried about that, that, you know, if you brand this, it might be used against you. Many Democrats that were cited in the art- article also agreed with that as well. I mean, we can get up there and, you know, we had Jared Bernstein on today, like Jared very much, and he, and he said inflation rates coming down, which it is. But the the inflation rate coming down and the inflation that our viewers and listeners feel every day, that is not coming down. Their health insurance is more expensive. Electricity, more expensive. Housing and rent, more expensive. Insurance, more expensive. How do you, is there a way to fix that? Because you got a year. Right. Well, I think on the messaging side, 
And then the messaging side, perhaps Biden needs to be wildly irresponsible and start talking about greedflation again. I think it's ridiculous, but I don't know, maybe as messaging that might work. I think if inflation does come down sharply, that might also be bad because that's because the economy is slowing. Maybe we're still going to have a recession. Unemployment will be going up. So then, so then that part of the message ends up falling apart. I mean, he is really in a pickle here because the one thing that can probably really bring inflation down is also going to bring joblessness up. Yeah, and I think your your point, Senator, on interest rates was was well done. But the Federal Reserve is, you know, ostensibly an independent organization. They they probably get some back end political pressure, is what I'm guessing. Under any administration, it wouldn't matter. But you can't control interest rates if you're the president. And theoretically, you can't control the Fed. So then what? Well, I think you have to put pressure. You have to you have to publicly say, look, we now have achieved a rate of unemployment that would suggest that you do not tamper with what we're doing with with uh, inflation rates or with interest rates, and you've got to bring them back down. When home mortgages make homes unaffordable, along with inflation costs for building material, you've got a problem because rents go up, housing goes up, insurance goes up, and we have, we. I mean, you've got to understand and appreciate that people are living in real time. They aren't just looking quarter to quarter. They're thinking, what was my life like a year ago? And comparing where they are right now to a year ago. And you have to be empathetic to that problem. Yeah, and you know, and, and to, to we'll let you guys go, but to that yeah. end, and no need to comment. But uh, Senator and, and Jimmy, thank you. Is that um, higher interest rates also contribute to wealth inequality because rich people have assets that gain in value, and poor middle class people have to pay higher interest on the things they borrow money for. I got to imagine that gap is only going to grow. Jimmy and uh, Senator Heidkamp, thank you both very much. All right. In the meantime, here's what happened to your stock market money today. And it was another strong Monday, keeping up with momentum from last week. All the averages rose, not a lot, but they were up. And here's a bonus RBI. The Nasdaq now in its longest daily win streak since January. How about that? Under the market hood, the biggest winner of the day, Constellation Energy, up six and a half percent, the biggest decliner, Paramount Global, which, by the way, was the best performing S&P 500 stock last week. How about that? Let's also take a quick look at futures, see how things may be shaping up for tomorrow. Slight decline indicated, but again, super early. All right, super early for this show as well. And on deck, there are bad omens and there are bad omens. What just happened? One big TV-related stock that has our eyes wide open. Plus, the rising tab from corporate activism. Senator Ted Cruz out with a fiery, provocative new book on the issue. We spoke with him, and you're going to want to hear it coming up. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. All right, time for tomorrow's news tonight. Some of the headlines you're going to be talking about tomorrow morning. First up, a peek behind the curtain at Elon Musk's SpaceX. Company's on track to make $9 billion in revenue this year. That, according to Bloomberg, that includes its rocket launches and Starlink satellite business. Sales are projected to increase to $15 billion next year, notably 
Starlink set to outpace and exceed SpaceX's actual launch business. Next up, TikTok shutting down its billion-dollar creator fund. The move impacts TikTokers in the U.S., U.K., Germany, and France. The program was a way for TikTokers to try to monetize their content. The company announced to users today the program will end on December 16th when it was introduced in 2020. TikTok promised to pay out a billion dollars over the course of three years. Now you can make all that content for free. They'll get rich. You won't. All right, according to The Verge, the company did not respond when asked if it had paid out the full amount. Finally, a major decline for the Dish Network Company. It posted a surprise loss for the previous quarter. Stock has dropped. It fell 37% today. Dish continues to bleed pay TV and wireless subscribers, which has become a reality for a lot of cable companies. But while some others adapt, their business models will be less reliant on the subscription revenue. Dish Network really a shell of its former self, down nearly 90% in the past 20 years. Pretty much all those losses from just the most recent days and weeks. All right, joining us now, CNBC media reporter Alex Sherman. Uh, Alex, um, you just tweeted out that uh, it used to be one of the most interesting cover- companies you covered. Now it just looks like a, a tragedy. What is going on at DISH? Brian, to understand what's happened at DISH, you have to go back about 10 years. At that point, DISH had about 14 million satellite TV customers. And Charlie Ergen, the founder and CEO at the time, basically said, we see the writing on the wall and our business is unsustainable. We don't offer high-speed broadband to the home, unlike our cable competitors. We only offer video, and we see that video has peaked. So we need to become something else. And what he decided to become was a wireless company. And he likened it at the time to an episode of Seinfeld in order about how he would get from satellite to wireless. He said, look, you may not see where the story is going, but in the end, You'll figure it out and it'll all wrap up nicely. But what's ended up happening is we're still waiting 10 years later, sort of, for that nice wrap up to happen. It's not for lack of effort. Dish has tried to become a big wireless company in several ways. Yeah. They tried to buy Sprint. They tried to buy T-Mobile. They tried to merge with DirecTV. They kind of even abandoned the idea of getting into wireless and just said, hey, look, maybe we can become a combined satellite company. None of those things have come to fruition. And so what you end up with is this company that kind of got a piece of the Sprint T-Mobile deal. They got Boost Wireless out of that deal. And they've said, we're going to build this national network, but that costs billions of dollars. And Dish is trying to do it and they have some spectrum, but they keep missing deadlines and getting the FCC to push it back for them. And it's very unclear that this company is going to be able to actually do this. And that's why the stock is so low today. They're hemorrhaging customers on the satellite TV business, which Ergen correctly called as being a dying business. But they haven't been able to build out this big wireless competitor business. Yeah. And so now they're stuck losing money and investors are starting to give up. I did a uh, in August of 2021, Alex, I was out in, in Colorado and did about a I don't know, about an hour long one on one with Charlie Ergen on this exact topic. And we talked about 5G. We talked about like an Amazon wireless tie up. And it was a great conversation. Charlie Ergen, the founder of EchoStar, very successful guy, radiates optimism. He was optimistic. We all kind of came away 
Uh, we should probably show the video of me with him rather than that. Anyway, that said, uh, Alex, is there something, one thing, one decision, one happening that you can point to that says from two years ago with all that optimism to today where I would imagine uh, because they're debt load, there are people talking about the B word. Yeah, there are. Moffitt Nathanson, a research firm, came out today and they were very forward about saying this company looks like it's headed for bankruptcy. Look, Dish is actually trying to merge with the sister company, Echo Star, right now. Um, I would think that if that merger was called off, the Echo Star stock would probably shoot up because of the problems given with Dish today. But they're trying to hang on uh, with that merger and then probably will once again try to merge with DirecTV, which you remember was spun out from AT&T. Uh, and is now controlled by TPG, the private equity company. If that merger does happen, there's all sorts of cost synergies there. So that could give Dish sort of a new life, per se, if it hangs on in this merged company. And if Charlie Ergen continues to have a role, the wireless plan is a bit of a leap of faith. I mean, Dish has come out and said, we expect to have this $40 billion wireless business. Just give us time. We need to build out this network. We'd like to have a technology mm -hmm. partner, like you said, Amazon. Some people have speculated Google. But it's a big leap of faith at this point. And, they gotta, and, uh, they, and again, the last 10 years are evidence that if Dish says it, it doesn't necessarily come true. And they have to get they have to be able to financially get there as well. Alex Sherman, thank you. Appreciate it. 37 percent drop today. Coming up, corporate activism under pressure like never before. Senator Ted Cruz out with a new book tackling the thorny and provocative issue. We spoke to him today about it and you'll hear it next. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Time for your Monday RBI, and today it has to do with an amazing shift in how many consumers feel about companies and politics. Listen to this. Research firm Morning Consult has an exclusive new survey on consumers and companies, and we found a few really interesting things in it. First, one in five shoppers, 20%, or have boycotted, or what they call bycotting, a brand based on its perceived political stance. Don't like a company's politics more and more? You are saying no thanks to its products. And that is not surprising because 59% of those surveyed by Morning Consult said corporations in America have become more political recently. But also keep in mind about the same percent said companies have become more greedy and also profit driven in the same period. Conclusion, maybe people just don't like big companies. Anywho, this is also fascinating. A growing number of people that Morning Consult surveyed want companies to get more, not less, more involved in politics. Look at this. More and more adults want companies and corporations to do things like help get a law passed or impact public policy or even get politicians elected. And if you are younger, your views have really changed in the last four years. Gen Z and millennials have dramatically changed their views with not only more wanting companies to get politically active, but look at that on the bottom. It is now a net positive, the yellow to the right, on the number who want corporations to wield their influence to, wait for it, help politicians get elected. Hard to believe, but true. 
But overall, trust in companies, I guess in a good way, is on the rise. And Morning Consult says it may have something to do with social media because now companies can get their public and policy views sent directly, unfiltered, to you. And apparently, those social media campaigns may indeed be working. This election brought to you by Acme Big Tobacco and Heavy Industries Corporation. Not sure it's random, but it sure is interesting. And our thanks to Morning Consult. All right, let's stay kind of on this topic, because earlier today we sat down with Republican Senator Ted Cruz to talk about that very issue, because it's the topic of his fiery new book called Unwoke, How to Defeat Cultural Marxism in America. We covered a lot of ground, but started with corporations and their role in the culture wars. Here is part of our conversation. Is it the government's job to regulate companies either way? What I mean by that is when you look at Florida, right, kind of going after Disney and you say, OK, well, we want to want to do some things to prevent them from doing things. You could flip it and say, well, what's to prevent the other side from doing it? Also, right. why is the government involved in business at all? L- listen, I don't think the government should be forcing businesses to take political positions on one side or the other. Um, in the book on woke, what I do is I examine how the radical left has seized major institutions throughout our society. And, and I've got an entire chapter on big business. And, and what I focus on on big business is that we've seen something that it would have been hard to imagine even a few years ago, which is major companies becoming the economic enforcement arm for the left-wing agenda. How and, so? How so? Well, uh, that's, a bi- that's, a big, that's a big statement. Uh, it, it, it is a big statement, but what, we, what we've seen happen in terms of people having being canceled, being silenced, and what I focus on is the solution to it. So this book is all about how to respond to it, and I think the solution to it is a market solution, is the consumers holding people to account. And so, for example, uh, I focus closely on what happened with Bud Light and what happened with Target. And, and you look at Bud Light. Bud Light, I, I don't think in our lifetimes we've ever seen a, a major brand light itself on fire as badly as Bud Light did. And, and you had a, a number of, of woke executives who, who looked at the customers of Bud Light, and frankly, they looked down on them. They looked down on them as a bunch of ignorant rubes. And, and what happened is the customers got furious, and Bud Light went from the number one selling beer in America to it dropped out of the top 10. It, they, they lost nearly $30 billion of market cap as a result of declaring war on their customers. And so companies can do what they want, and the customer can do what she or he wants, and companies can continue to do things that they think are good or not. What the book explains, a lot of people are looking at our, our country and saying, what the heck happened? How, how did we get where we are, where it is so extreme, where you have right now, you, you, you have vicious anti-Semitism in the squad, in the Democrat Party in the House, but, but also on college campuses where you're seeing Jewish students being harassed and threatened by, by the vicious hatred of Israel. This book, Unwoke, explains how that happens. I want to bring it back a little. There's a study out, um, and this you're from Texas, obviously, mm-hmm. yeah. so you might have a little bit of a pro-oil bent, but um, that EVs, something yep. that we have been, I don't, people call me critical of them. I think I've just been fair. I've actually own an EV, mm-hmm. um, which I don't talk about too yeah. much, but it's, I got no problem with the technology. And look, Teslas are made in Texas, so we're, we're, we're we, based I believe in, in, and cons- now based in Texas. I believe in consumer but choice. But there was a new study out that showed that basically your political leaning 
is sort of how you decide what car to buy. That EVs now have even become politicized, and one-third of EV sales are in the top 5% of counties, which tend to be a little more Democratic-leaning. Yeah. Should we be politicizing things like a car? Well, I, I can tell you, so I talk with a lot of car dealers in Texas, and they're expressing frustration that the car makers are forcing the dealers to buy tons of EVs, and their customers don't want them. They just sit on the on the on the lot in Texas, and a lot of people aren't buying them. But, you know, I focus on this in the book in two different aspects. One, I have a whole chapter on science and how science has become politicized and corrupted. And, and, but number two, the last chapter in the book is on China. And I view China as a nexus that links the, the wokeification of all of these institutions. And, Do you and, think TikTok should be outlawed? Um, I, I, yes. I, look, I think TikTok is... Because they control a lot of the algorithms, and there's people who've made complaints that have said, listen, we believe that certain people are seeing certain things based on what the, the Chinese government may want us to see. Look, TikTok is controlled by the Chinese government, and, and, and it is deliberately, I believe, being used to spread propaganda and, and to undermine America. And, and, and I think that's, that is a serious threat to our country. But the point I would make on EVs is oil and gas. The United States is the world's dominant superpower on oil and gas. We produce, we're the number one producer of oil in the world, the number one producer of natural gas. We produce 20% of all the oil and gas in the world. The left is pushing to move away from oil and gas and to move to wind and solar. Now, let me give you some stats, actually, from the book. Oh, got stats. But, 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 but you're, while you're looking at your picture, your state, as you well know, is the leading Renewables electricity generator in the United States. Yeah, look, we're the number People one producer of wind energy. Texas. Texas, we produce a lot more wind energy in Texas than California does. Ironically, they produce a lot of hot air, but the wind energy is produced in Texas. Yeah, I assume you're not talking about solar. <laughs> well, but what is here's something interesting. If you look at wind and solar, here's some stats from from the book Unwoke. China controls refining capacity for 73 percent of the world's cobalt, for 40 percent of the world's copper. 59% of lithium, 68% of nickel, and 83% of rare earth metals. Every one of those uh -huh. is necessary for wind and solar. And then on the finished products, China is responsible for 80% of global solar panel panels manufacturing, 70% of global wind turbine manufacturing, and 77% of global lithium-ion battery manufacturing. And I say that the next time you see a Democrat pushing that we should shift our energy entirely from oil and gas to wind and solar, understand what they're saying. Well, I want to ask you about Venezuela. Yep. Obviously, you mentioned oil and gas. Uh, the administration, I've talked to people inside the administration, uh, effectively making a deal to loosen sanctions on Venezuela if they promise, pinky swear, that they're going to have free and more fair elections this time. We want the Venezuelan people to, to come out of their crushing poverty. So you want to help them, but you don't want to help Maduro. Do you fundamentally disagree with the deal that we made with Venezuela? I, absolutely. And, and, and by the way, you say what, what you want, that's what a rational person would want. The Biden White House does want to help Maduro. If you look at the Biden foreign policy. They have systematically aided the enemies of America. Let's take oil and gas. It is bizarre, the Biden White House approach to oil and gas, which is they hate U.S. production. They put in place dozens of regulatory assaults to stop U.S. production. 13 million barrels a day. But
But simultaneously, they seem to love production by our enemies. They love production by Venezuela. They love production by Iran. When Joe Biden came into office, Iran had crushing oil sanctions in place. Biden refused to enforce those sanctions. Iran right now is selling two million barrels a day of oil. They have made over $80 billion from selling that oil, and that is funding Hamas, that is funding Hezbollah, We've talked that about is it. funding terrorism against the United States. Their foreign account reserves have soared over the last couple of years. And, and explain to me how it makes sense. I don't understand the internal coherence that for the Biden White House, they hate oil and gas production in America, which produces jobs in America. But they love oil and gas production by our enemies. And by the way, Iran and Venezuela both produce oil and gas much dirtier, and they emit more carbon. So Joe Biden has hurt the environment while he's hurt our national security, while he's hurt jobs. This is ideology. It's not mm -hmm. a reasonable, rational policy to benefit America, to benefit American jobs. And our thanks to Senator Ted Cruz for joining us. His new book is called Unwoke. You can tell Passionate, fiery, whatever you think about it. He's got a lot to say about it. Peruse the book. Check it out. All right, still ahead. How low can they go? Renewable energy stocks on a seemingly unending slide, but is there opportunity here for you? We go high energy on energy. Next. All right, welcome back to Last Call. Are investors giving up on new energy stocks? They may be. Listen to this. Today, solar stock SolarEdge tumbled again, downgraded by Wells Fargo. Lithium giant Albemarle falling even more after UBS slashed its price target, citing risk to the future growth of lithium. Lithium, of course, is seen as the, quote, gasoline of the battery market. Battery maker Enphase also down. By the way, these stocks down 60, 40, and 44%, respectively, in just 90 Days And it is not just individual stocks getting slammed. The TAN, the major solar ETF, losing nearly 40% of investor value since January. It is now below where it was before the president's multi-hundred billion dollar environmental energy build-out plan was passed. And the selling happening across other sectors as well. The FAN, wind energy ETF, also tumbling. But what is going on here with some companies that traders not only loved not that long ago because they were seen as the future of energy, but... Companies that are direct beneficiaries of a lot of government subsidies. Joining us now is the former chairman of the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, Neil Chatterjee. Neil, these, these, part of these companies were supposed to be the future of energy. Solar, wind, batteries. They're getting subsidies, right? We need the, the more power. I know you're not a stock guy, but what's going on here? I mean, I think there's several factors that are at play. One, the bill you referenced, the Inflation Reduction Act, it was never meant to juice the clean energy sector. It was just meant to provide some stability. You'd have some certainty that you'd have these long-term tax credits in place. But what's really happening is interest rates and inflationary pressure are really driving down demand for clean energy. And so consumers who want to take advantage of these IRA subsidies those benefits from those subsidies are just being totally outweighed by high interest rates. Yeah, and so what do we do? And we, we, first off, we need all the power we can get. And I, and I spoke with a guy today about something else, and he literally runs a, like a left-leaning energy think tank, and he lives in like California, Northern California. This is the perfect guy. And even he said, I just couldn't justify the cost of solar with the battery. I mean, if he, if this guy is saying no, what does that say for the rest of the country? 
I think it's going to take time. Look, I'm, I'm long-term pretty bullish on solar plus storage in particular. I think there's going to be some consolidation. You mentioned, you know, these stock prices that are taking a hit. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think some companies are going to struggle to get through this. But I think the ones that make it through are going to come through even stronger on the other this side. Is, Neil, okay, I like the optimism. By the way, I'll throw solar panels with a battery on my house just if anything to save on the electric bill. But it has to make economic sense. But this is not new, right? I'm thinking <clears throat> Solyndra. Right. I'm thinking other solar panels are not a new technology. And this is the problem when government policymakers try and drive market outcomes. I actually think there's a pretty decent case or there was a pretty decent case for the clean energy transition without subsidies, without mandates, without regulations. But it has to work. And it's got to work. But the problem is the Biden administration has been pushing out these policies to try and meet particular timelines and particular objectives. And those timelines are what's causing some of these issues. So part of the reason the economic case for clean energy has been so good is we've been reliant upon imports from China. Cheap. Cheap. As you heard Ted Cruz say, many of which are made in forced labor camps, according to like human rights watchers. So now... I'm not putting that... I would never put a... And the government's trying to block them. They're trying... But you can't put a solar panel on your house made saying, by Uyghurs in detainment camps... And then say that you're green. The administration is sending mixed messages. On the one hand, they want to appear strong on China, but they don't want to do anything to derail the clean energy transition. Some of this slowdown yeah. actually may help because what it will do is it will give time for domestic manufacturers of the supply chain of the component parts of the clean energy transition to get up and running so we can actually yeah. make those products. Here's, here. here's what I worry about, and I've been, and I've been pretty vocal on this because people are like, oh, you're the guy that covers fossil fuels. Okay, I like all energy because here's what I worry about. If a wind farm off the coast of New Jersey gets whacked, that's supposed to power 400,000 homes, and they're going to take off coal and gas, fine, and then replace it with the wind. But now the wind's not being built. What I worry about, Neil, and I look out, and PJM, the grid operator, warned about this. There's a scenario where we're taking power off and not putting power on. And to me, that says no power. That's the, the whole thing. So when it, I was, Could that happen? When I was the chairman of the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, my foremost obligation, responsibility, was oversight of the reliability of the grid to make sure when Americans hit the switch, the lights would come on. What's happening now is politicians and not engineers are making these decisions mm. about resource adequacy. So And the types of cars we're supposed to drive. All of it. It's politicians People who are ferried around in, in, in suburbans are making these decisions. And so when politicians decide, I'm going to shut down this gas plant, I'm going to shut down this nuclear plant, I'm going to shut down this coal plant, and the balancing resources, the alternatives aren't ready to go, suddenly you've got blackouts, you've got brownouts, you've you got just tailmen. You just made the case for household solar inadvertently. If I'm really worried about those things, I'm putting solar on my house. So, you know, I hate to be that, but I, we can do it. We need to yeah. refocus on energy security and the reliability of the grid. In yeah. our zeal to decarbonize, we've taken our eyes off of reliability and, quite frankly, affordability yeah. as well. Neil Chatterjee, great to see you on set. Thanks for having Appreciate me. Appreciate it. Welcome back anytime. Coming up, an AI battle royale, how ChatGPT just told Elon Musk to hold its beer. That's next. All right, welcome back. OpenAI hosted its first developer conference today in San Francisco. During the conference, the AI giant revealed a new feature that will let premium users create their own custom versions of its product, ChatGPT. This announcement comes just days after a new challenger stepped into the ring. Elon Musk, you've probably heard about him, debuted Grok, 
over the weekend. The first AI chatbot from his newest company, XAI. It is still in beta testing mode. It is only available to select few, so we have not seen it. We are not one of those select few. But unlike ChatGPT, Grok's data will use, quote, real-time knowledge from X, formerly known as Twitter. Huh. Does Musk chatbot have what it takes to give OpenAI a run for its money with us tonight? Is The Verge, Deputy Editor Alex Heath. Alex, welcome back. I don't think you have tested Grok either, right? It's like six people or something that are getting a look at it. Yeah, that's right. So eventually Elon says Grok, uh, the name of his chatbot, will be available to premium subscribers of X, which I think is about 16 bucks a month. But yeah, so far, very few people have actually tried it. Okay. And, and what do we know about Grok other than the fact that that's, I guess, the term for a Martian from a sci-fi novel in the early right. 60s, Stranger in a Strange Land. What do we know about Grok? Is it just going to basically, quote, learn, and I'm doing air quotes, from scraping your and my Twitter? Yeah, that's the idea. He bought Twitter, now X, and he's using that data to train Grok, which is a reference to, Hitchhiker, uh, to Hitchhiker, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, excuse me. Um, and it's interesting you set this up as a feud because people may not realize that Elon actually was the original founder of OpenAI, the company behind ChatGPT. He thinks that OpenAI has become too left-leaning, too woke in his own words, and so he's making x.ai grok as the antidote to that i saw him tweeting over the weekend that hmm. grok will teach you how to make cocaine which is something that OpenAI, you know definitely will not do <laughs> okay hopefully not make anything else dangerous um alex here's the thing okay as you as you know listen i'm a heavy x size twitter user and you know this got a lot of flaws too i mean thank god for the mute button right but there's a lot of hate speech on there there's a lot of misinformation a lot of disinformation is Grok going to be learning from, like, that? Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, uh, you are what you eat. And with these AI models, uh, they're training on all kinds of data. We often don't know what the data is, but Elon is saying this is X data that's feeding Grok. And uh, <laughs> I'll, t I'll leave that to the, to the viewer to decide whether that means the model is going to be good or not. Yeah, hopefully we'll get a look at Grok soon. And I do wonder, Alex, and you don't have to respond, if it's going to be like, we're always like this versus that. Maybe there's room for a bunch of different types. We can choose our AI like we can choose our media. <laughs> Alex Heath of The Verge, thank you. All right, coming up, a very cool Make It Monday with a crazy contest. Which one of those is real and which one of those is a cake? Sounds weird. It's awesome. Just wait and see it. All right, one of our favorite times of the week. It's Make It Monday, and tonight you're going to meet 20-year-old 20 20 Justin Ellen. He is a baker extraordinaire and even competed on the Netflix game Is It Cake? Take a look. So it's super important to me that the cake looks and tastes just as good. When you first look at the cake, I want you to feel like, oh my God, what is this? I'm Justin Allen, I'm from Passaic, New Jersey. I'm a cake artist and entrepreneur, and last year I grossed 100,000 in sales. I graduated high school in 2021. I didn't go to college. I just felt like it wasn't for me. I chose baking as a profession because it just really allowed me to unleash my creativity. So I used to bake with my mom and my grandma for the holidays and we would make everything from pies to cookies to bread. And eventually I got interested in cakes from YouTube and she really sparked my interest. So I was on the show Is It Cake on Netflix. This 
is a bowling ball. And this is a cake. What? The show is insane. And they reached out to me via Instagram. We flew out to California last year, so I missed my graduation and my prom. But it was well worth it. I loved the whole experience, even though it was super stressful. But it just really skyrocketed my business. It gave me like a huge exposure and gave me a lot of new opportunities I wouldn't have without it. Custom cakes are expensive. Cakes really range based on design and like size of cake. So our smallest cake is a six inch cake and that feeds 10 to 12 people. And those start at like 160, but it can really go way higher depending on what they're asking for. Inquiries come from my website, everythingjustbake.com. Most of our customers, I would say, are in New Jersey, Northern. So legally, you can't really sell cakes from your home. So we rent a commercial kitchen in Fairfield. The most expensive thing in running an operation is definitely renting out the commercial kitchen, memberships like Costco, your website, and then just ingredients of course. I work pretty much every day. I try to take off Mondays, Fridays, Saturdays, Sundays are busy days. In three to five years, I hope to have a successful storefront and possibly opening up my second one. Maybe a franchise. One of the reasons why I love my job is I'm able to be a part of other people's memories. So like my cake was something memorable for someone else. And it's really like heart touching, you know? I became a part of their memory. Justin Ellen joins us now, and we, what are we, okay, Justin, congrats, welcome. What are we Thank looking you. at here? So we're playing a little, is a cake, one of these is a cake, and- One of those is a cake, it, yeah. wait, one of those is a cake. It's a cake, cake. Okay. Um, <laughs> is it the ranch, the cookie butter, or the Hershey syrup? One of these is legit a, a cake. Uh, okay, uh, I feel like Hans Molman <laughs> of The Simpsons. What is that? Um, the Hershey's. You think it's the Hershey? I, I don't. I don't. I don't know. You You're gonna the, we're gonna heat up the knife just so it's a little easier to okay. cut. Okay. What, what's going on here? Just so it's a Didn't little like easier. Didn't like my cruise interview. <laughs> so you think it's the Hershey's? Are I don't you know. Sure? I Are don't you know. Sure? It's they got stickers on them. Is it cake? Oh, that's a real. Okay, I was wrong. Not cake. Okay. So what do we got here? Is it the cookie butter? No. 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 Is it the ranch? That's a cake. It's cake. Are you, are you kidding me? That's a. That watch a your cake. fingers. That is a cake. That's a cake. That is unbelievable. Let's get better. Watch your fingers. Watch it, please. Watch your fingers. We don't have a lot. There we that go. That is unbelievable. How it's did you? You're cake 20. You just turned 20, Justin. <laughs> you're a maestro. You're like the Michelangelo of pastry. How did you learn to do this? I used to bake my mom and my grandma when I was little, and I would see all these realistic cakes online. And I was like, I want to do that. Even though I couldn't in the beginning, I just kept on practicing. And I perfected it. I think the actual Hidden Valley is the cake. It's edible. Everything. No, no, edible. the cake is the Hidden Valley. Ooh, look, the Hidden Valley is actually cake. Um, how do you get these ideas? Like, what do you? Do? Is it customers say, Justin, can you make me a fake can of Hidden Valley Ranch? <laughs> so honestly, I like fooling my family. Like, is this edible? Could I eat? Yeah, it? everything's edible. The papers are. Because I'll eat the whole. That's chocolate, thing. and the inside is chocolate cake with cookie butter filling. It's delicious. Oh my god, it's good too. Um, and I like fooling my fa friends and family, so. <laughs> oh, Kareem's eyeballing it, I know. We'll save some for the whole crew. Don't worry. Um, so how's your business going? You're a guy with your mom in your Passaic, New Jersey. Like, where do you go from here? Yeah, so it's going really good. I've been focusing a lot on content, and I just really make, enjoy making videos for people. Okay. Uh, you're going to expand, I assume. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking to expand um, with product lines, cake mix, all different things. Um, let me just, I want to just double make sure you're not kidding. Uh, correct. All right, because they look exactly the same. Um, got some backers, I'm assuming, people that want you to grow. Can I ask you roughly, mm -hmm. and you don't have to you know, reveal too much, what would something like this cost to make, um, roughly? To cost to make? Yeah, if I said, hey, I want a Hidden Valley Ranch cake. 
Um, typically, I don't really make small cakes anymore. My oh, you don't? Okay. Now is like 500. Okay. But and I that really would be do... small for you. Yeah. What's the craziest thing? I don't keep it clean. <laughs> What's the craziest thing anybody's ever asked you to make so far? In terms of realistic cakes? Yeah, like, you know, um, make sneakers, me a waterbed cake or so. I don't know. Sneakers, purses, um, cheeseburgers. Just you, people who really enjoy fooling family. That Everyone would be, wants to fool your fun. friends and that family. Would, so what did you do? You did like a cheeseburger cake. Yeah, I actually just recently, I fooled my mom. I made raw chicken. I put it in the package and I pretend like I got this from the food store. She and then, mad. like, you she pretended to just eat, like, raw, ch- yeah. or she thought it was chicken was going to start cooking it? Yeah, exactly. That's and fantastic. She was not happy with me, but... But did you charge her? Because, it, you know, your, your time is valuable, <laughs> you're Justin. You're right, you're right. Uh, but I didn't charge her for that because she makes me dinner, you know? There, that's a good, that's a good, and hopefully it was real chicken, not, although <laughs> this, was. like, I'm going to eat this whole thing of Hidden Valley Ranch. Um, what do you want to do, like, in 10 years from now? How do you see yourself? Like, where do you want to be? I... Because I think you can probably do anything. I, I, it keeps on changing every day. I hope to do more TV. At 20, it should. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and I just hope to inspire more young entrepreneurs um, just to dream big. And, like, it's possible at any age. You could be 15 and have a successful business. And, and this is just a truly tremendous. We're going to share this with the crew. Uh, white chocolate with what's the inside? Chocolate cake with cookie butter filling. Oh. And then the paper's edible. Everything is the edible. Pa- okay, I was, I was actually going to ask you because <laughs> yeah. you got the paper here. <laughs> the label? This is edible? It's edible, yeah. Are you edible. sure? It's edible. You're not messing with it. It doesn't taste the best, but it. it's edible. <laughs> yeah. We're gonna, even if it was real paper, I'd still swallow it. Justin, great stuff. <laughs> Thank you. Successful. Thank Folks, you. we'll see you tomorrow tonight. Go Chargers. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.